You're listening to Policy Room by SPRF. Hello and welcome to SPRF's Policy Room. Today we have a very special guest with us today. We have Dr. Manish Kumar. Manish Kumar teaches at the Department of Economics at the Delhi School of Economics, the University of Delhi. He is a recent graduate. He has completed his uh, PhD program from the Jawaharlal Nehru University from the Center for Economic Studies and Planning. Uh, Dr. Manish has worked extensively on agricultural value chains. His fieldwork has primarily concentrated on the states of Punjab and Bihar. So the reason we have Dr. Manish um, today with us on the policy room is to highlight a very important issue that has been uh, consuming public discourse in the country over the last uh, few months. We see that despite um, tremendous opposition, both, both in the parliament and outside, the union government has recently passed three farm acts in the parliament. These are the Essential Commodities Amendment Act, the Farmers Empowerment and Protection Agreement on Price Assurance and Farm Services Act, and the Farming Produce Trade and Commerce Act. Um, tell us a little about um, what these agricultural laws might entail for the farming community in India. I would ask Dr. Manish to um, not go into a lot of detail, but to briefly tell us what he thinks on what the implications of these farm laws might be. Dr. Manish. Uh, thanks, Nikhil, for having me here. Uh, recently, Government of India passed uh, three acts. Basically, one was uh, amended and the rest two are very new. So the first is Essential Communities Amendment Act. Original act was passed in 1955. And in this particular amendment, government excluded some specified agricultural products from the list of essential commodities and uh, which means in briefly that the holding of these agricultural food products would be legal now. So holding of agricultural products is no more illegal. So that is one thing. One example I would give, uh, when this lockdown started in March last week, this uh, last year, then at many places, uh, this uh, wholesaler or retailer or or any kind of uh, business person started holding of some essential commodities to to extract super normal profit from the uh, consumers so just to understand the impact of this particular amendment you can understand whatever administration whatever steps that administration took during that time to stop illegal holding that is no more possible after this change in the act. So if someone is holding rice and after some time its price goes up, then there is no tool with administration, district administration uh, to stop that thing. That is one very basic impact of this uh, amendment. There is uh, another act which is farmers uh, agreement on Price Assurance and Farm Services Act, which basically allows contract farming. And uh, 
it's legally enables contract farming within a national framework so this is earlier there used to be state wise uh, contract farming act so different states had different kinds of act but now there is a national framework of uh, contract farming and i am again giving you one example of contract farming what it it means so there is a corporate buyer who will decide and specify that i want a product of this size potato of this size uh, of uh, this particular color and if farmers is in a position to provide that kind of uh, product then only uh, as per agreement that as that happens in most of the cases uh, farmers will be uh, will be paid otherwise farmers will not be paid so there are different issues with the contract farming uh, if we will have time we can go in detail but that is one kind of uh, understanding you can make out of it that it is completely dependent on the uh, desire of the buyers which is in most of the cases big corporate uh, households uh, big corporate lobbies there is the third thing that is third act that is farming produce trade and commerce act which basically allows the trade of agricultural produce outside the boundary of uh, agricultural produce commodities uh, this apmc act agricultural produce marketing committee committees act and in some uh, states that is already not uh, in place uh, we will be discussing bihar's example uh, so apmc uh, even uh, the trade outside apmc mandi is permissible under uh, farming produce trade and commerce act so this is what uh, these these acts are going to do thank you so much for that um, dr manish you mentioned a couple of points regarding contract farming and this is something that we would be going into next uh, the example of bihar which is where you primarily conducted your field work has you know it's been noted of late it has been noted by sections of the academia they look at media narratives uh, regarding the farm bills the example of bihar has been noted extensively um, as you know as an example for why such um, reforms might be necessary or what they could uh, do to improve the socio economic status of farming in india so just in context for our listeners so bihar had repealed the apmc act in 2006 and like yes. i stated this example has been used widely to support um, these uh, the recent bills that have been passed but uh, dr manish in more, in in your work something that you have noted is that there have been a, a few loopholes in the apmc act and you know there are glaring gaps in india's food security policy and keeping that in mind there's no denying that the, the, the there's no denying the need for reforms in india's um, agricultural policy so uh, keeping that in context could you tell us a little on what might be the loopholes for example in the apmc act yeah so uh, you you rightly pointed out that uh, the example of bihar has been used by 
many uh, academician in recent times and it has been used by both sides those who are supporting this act and those who are opposing this this act so those who are supporting this acts are using bihar as an example of uh, this change and they are saying that bihar has done remarkable remarkable progress uh, after repealing apmc act so that is their take and this uh, appreciation of bihar government and this change that is not uh, that did not start in recent uh, months but it started uh, recently after this repeal that uh, took place under the new liberal framework so why they decided to repeal the apmc act so that was the question initially so basically the government was uh, required to build the infrastructure for the market and so on and so forth so that was the background under which they were working so now it was thought that if government uh, government will allow the private players to set up the markets uh, if there is no uh, compulsion if there is no compulsion on uh, uh, on on the area where the farmers are required to go and uh, sell their produce if these compulsions are not there then they will be uh, there will be private buyers they will come they will build the market and as a result of that farmers will be benefited because they will have multiple options to sell their produce and as per uh, the economic doctrine uh, there is a very popular theory that if a uh, seller has multiple options available then they can get the uh, optimum price that is what the idea behind this this whole things as you said that apmc act one can possibly argue that there are different problems with the apmc act for example uh, uh it is correct that in most of the cases apmc mandis are not uh in the vicinity of the village for example right if that is the case then far it is very difficult for small and marginal farmers to sell their produce uh because they will have to undertake some transportation costs and because of this economies of scale they will uh finally sell that produce to someone who is a local uh trader or middle person so that is one particular loopholes but one answer uh, to that criticism could be that if you are realizing that apmc mandis are not in the vicinity or in the uh, in the village then you should provide that mandi in the village right so it is it it cannot just uh, say that uh, apmc is not there then if there is a flaw in apmc but the distance the density of the market etc these all are uh, used to be the problem in case of bihar as well and uh, government what government said that time government said that uh, we have very uh, constant physical uh, fiscal condition and as a result of that we are not in a position to build new markets 
so that's why we are inviting private players and if private players and private players will come only if we are repealing this particular act so under under that uh, that was done away with it is also visualized in many cases that the sale in uh, market or this apmc marketing committees are more favorable to large uh, farmers that is another one different if you will go through some of the uh, data which has been published uh, at various platform if you want i can also share with you later so you will realize that there is a particular pattern those who are going to mandi or this apmc market they are largely the large farmers middle farmers uh, or they have very sound backgrounds so that is there but can we say that these flaws are such a big flaws to address that we will uh, we will uh, we had this compulsion to repeal this act was that a right decision and so so as i said initially that one may possibly argue that there are some problems with the apmc act but we need to fix that uh, those uh, flaws instead of just uh, uh, repealing that act so that uh, that was the initial uh, problem with the government of bihar that we could see in this particular example that you are referring that uh, government of bihar repealed uh, apmc act thank you dr manish um, just going back again to the question on uh, apmc something that you have also noted is uh, the density or lack thereof of markets uh, for you know, buying and selling of agricultural goods so like we have noted like most of your field work also has been um, uh, conducted in the state uh what has been your experience post the repeal of the apmc act in 2006 was there any dramatic increase in the in the density of agricultural uh, markets that you saw or uh, and that is one aspect of my question the second aspect just picking off again on something that you just mentioned is and this is something that you worked extensively uh, in your research is that you know you have noted the asymmetry in power dynamics between say a yeah. farmer and other actors in the agricultural value chain so um, just highlighting these two aspects could you uh, go into a little more detail for our um, audience let me take your second question first uh, regarding this power asymmetry uh, whether it is agricultural produce market committee act whether it is contract farming or anything else before going into those uh, details we need to understand the relationship between uh, farmers and the other actors in the, this value system this whole agricultural value system where at one hand you have farmers and on the other hand you have traders processing agencies processing units procurement agencies etc so that is what you have this agricultural value system is nothing but the interaction of these two section agriculture 
and non-agriculture section. When we are talking about their interaction, they are interacting with their inherited uh, power position as well. So when farmer is coming into the market, there are several socio-economic compulsions with those farmers. So you would have heard that farmers are always in hurry to sell their produce after harvest. Why? In some cases, there are some compulsion to repay loan. In some cases, you will find that uh, there are some uh, rituals, marriage ceremony, etc. For, uh, for that, they need liquid money, etc. So this kind of socio-economic compulsion of the farmers forces farmer to sell their produce immediately after the harvest. And that makes their position weaker. That is one thing. The second thing uh, that is also mentioned in very uh, good book, Theories of Surplus Value. In that particular book, volume two, you will uh, find that Marx has identified the difference between manufacturing sector and agriculture sector. In manufacturing, if you want to increase the output, for example, if you are working in a factory and the, uh, if you are owner of the factory and you want to increase the output, then you will increase the number of labor supply that you can do. And accordingly, there would be some increase. I'm just uh, talking crudely on that. There are some economies of scale as well there, but that possibility is there. So to generate surplus from manufacturing activities, if you are increasing number of labor, labor power, there you can do that. But in case of agriculture, after sowing seed, seed, you need some time and which is not in your hand, right? And uh, I'm not talking about very advanced condition of so, uh, uh, advanced condition of agriculture where uh, under some greenhouse technology, etc., you can reduce the timing of uh, for cropping, etc. That is that possibility is there, but we are not using those kind of technology right now. So after sowing particular seed, you need some time and that is beyond your control. So whatever amount of labor you put, it will take if uh, there is a period of 90 days to mature one particular crop, there is no other way to decrease that time, right? So these kinds of constraints are there. As a result of that, the limitation of over the surplus uh, generation of surplus is there in agriculture and that also weakens the position of uh, farmers. So that is the second point. There is another third point, uh, which is basically in case of agriculture, you will realize that more than 52% of Indian households are dependent on agriculture. Uh, uh, close to 14 crore agricultural households are in India right now. And because of that, because the number of seller, agriculture, seller of agricultural produce is very large, this market, agricultural market is primarily demand determined. So demand side actually prevails that decides the price in case of agricultural produce. So these kind of conditions are there, which actually weakens structurally the position power position of the farmers in, a, in case of any trade between agricultural and non-agricultural segment of the agricultural value system.
so uh, when we are talking about different uh, alternatives whether it is a pmc or uh, government regulated market whether it is contract farming which is uh, primarily uh, corporate controlled market system so in all those things our background should be built on this precondition with this uh, this notion or this understanding that there is existing structural power asymmetry in the agricultural value system on a, in which farmers are weaker than the other actors of the value system and that is what we are missing currently in the entire debate uh, of these three apps so uh, when we are talking about uh, contract farming which is agricultural uh, value systems which is uh, led by corporate so we all know very well that all corporate bodies are interested in profit and they will try their best to extract maximum profit and that is the sign of their success right so in order to do that there is already a structural power asymmetry which will work in their favor and that is why there is a need uh, for some kind of support to the uh, farming communities and that is why it is needed that farmers should be protected by the uh, government and uh, here the guarantee of price guarantee of a price is very much important which can be protected only if there is some some kind of legislation in favor of the farmers so that was the second part uh, of the this thing let me give you one example that was your first question from bihar so when i was visiting uh, for my field work in rohtas district of bihar uh, this was uh, year 2018 and apmc act was not there so there was no compulsion for farmers uh, to go to a mandi or there was no compulsion for rice mill owner to go to mandi to buy apmc mandi to buy uh, paddy so i was primarily looking at paddy so a rice mill had uh, their own procurers they are setting several uh, procurement centers rice mill owners are the sole authority in that particular case to decide the quality of grain and accordingly they were fixing the price so the farmers had no say in deciding the price and farmers had no role to play in uh, deciding the quality parameters so on the basis of quality parameters they were paid so this is what the situation in bihar that uh, came into existence after this apmc thing so just imagine a situation where uh, this thing uh, what would be the condition when this uh, small rice mill is replaced uh, with the big corporate lobby big corporate so the situation of the farmer would be even worse in that condition because there would not be any say of the farmers and above all as uh, uh, in this acts it is also said 
that if there is any dispute between farmer and uh, uh, buyer or this corporate, then they could not uh, approach. Uh, if we, uh, they could not approach the court, but they will approach SDM, sub district magistrate, and so and so forth. So even if uh, they could approach court and uh, for some kind of dispute settlement, the position of farmers are not that much at par with the corporate that they could uh, fight in in this kind of legal system. We all are very much aware of the legal system of our country where uh, it takes a lot of money for anyone to approach the court and get the justice so so i am just saying loosely not to be misquoted uh, but this is the situation where farmers are uh, very much in a weaker position and that is very much evident in case of bihar as well which you uh, referring It's interesting that you've uh, noted this, uh, Dr. Manish, and you know, particularly with respect to India, you know, the farming, the agricultural sector is isn't an homogeneous one, and you know, with respect to the protests also that we see, we you know, an uh, often resorted to a, a refrain um, is that you know this is only a particular section of um, of farmers, the well-to-do farmers who are coming out in protest. Keeping that in mind, no, uh, let me uh, just, uh, if I'm allowed, uh, you are saying about the home, this uh, farming is not homogeneous, even in a particular state. I was uh, talking about Bihar. Even in Bihar, you will realize a different situation in the north part of the state and south part of the state. The situation are very much different there. So let me just give you one uh, one more. Uh, example from the from Bihar. Uh, in uh, for my field work only, I was doing a survey in Katihar district. That is, and uh, when I was doing the survey before that year, uh, this district was entirely flood affected, and only a few amount of the crop was uh, saved, and which they could uh, sell in the market later on. So. What I realized that farmers were uh, facing the entire risk. Farmers affect, uh, were affected uh, by the flood. Government provided some kind of compensation, but even after uh, that compensation, they had to the farmers had to take uh, undertake losses. So they had negative returns from the this entire business, this cultivation. But from the same produce, whatever amount they could save and sell in the in the market, from the same produce, local private traders, wholesalers of the uh, paddy, rice mill, then uh, retailers of the rice, so all other actors of the value system except farmers made positive return even in that particular case when entire crop was affected, flood, uh, flood affected, entire zone was flood affected. So it is a, it became a situation where entire risk is borne by farmers, where the benefits are largely 
uh, extracted by the non-agricultural actors of the agricultural value system. That is the situation we can imagine in, in, in such a situation where there is no external uh, control over them. There is no government control over them. So that is the reality that it is not homogeneous even in a particular state. And even uh, in some case, you will realize that uh, some part of district is doing good with a particular crop. Uh, at the same time, other part of the district is not doing that much. Yeah. I think this is something that you've noted in your um, recent public uh, publication in the EPW also. Just to quote some figures um, for our audience's references, uh, you know, on average per hectare, farmers have made an uh, made a loss of I think rupees twenty three thousand nine hundred and fifty four at the cost of cultivation, yes. while your local traders, wholesalers, and the rice mill have earned a profit of rupees ninety four sixty and rupees two hundred and five per quintal of paddy, respectively. Am I right, uh, Doctor Manish? Yes, 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 yes. You are right. So that is the situation. All actors are earning positive returns. Uh, that means they uh, they had not to face the risk of this uh, flood on the crop. So that kind of situation is there. Uh, farmers are facing the risk. One more figure you can uh, uh, take from that paper that post uh, this uh, APMC repeal in Bihar, farmers' situation were even worse. Why I'm saying that you can take one particular number. How many farmers in Bihar could sell their produce at uh, either uh, at MSP price or more than MSP, which is remunerative price in, uh, in true sense, actually. So in case of Bihar, we have a figure from 2013 that 96% of Bihar paddy cultivators, Bihar paddy farmers, sold their produce at a price which was less than MSP of that time. So they could not get minimum support price. And in many cases, this minimum support price becomes maximum price when it comes to contract farming to some extent. And, uh, and uh, so this entire fight about MSP, that is not in vacuum actually. So farmers are not even getting MSP. That is the minimum price, which takes into account all cost they undertake. And even after that, they have to sell their produce at, uh, uh, at lower prices. So in Bihar, it is very bad situation there. The next question that I wanted to um, ask you, and this is where I was going uh, to in the previous question. So, uh, as we all know, farmers in India are uh, categorized into uh, different uh, into uh, categories based on the the quantum of their land ownership. So, you have marginal mm -hmm. farmers who own less than one hectare. Uh, this is just again for uh, our audience's reference. And you have small farmers who own between one and two hectares. You have semi-medium farmers who own between two and four hectares. 
you have medium farmers who own between 4 to 10 hectares and then you have your large farmers who own more than 10 hectares yes. so dr manish what i was hoping to ask you is a, a figure that you quoted just now is how uh, for bihar 96% of bihar's paddy cultivators received less than the msp for their produce could you tell us a little into what the experiences are when you divide them or you disaggregate this data according to uh, the farmers whether you know what might be the difference in experience say for a a medium farmer or a marginal farmer if you could just go into a little detail on no the access to this kind of formal uh, markets formal markets when i'm saying it is either uh, specified uh market of this uh, in the street i'm just not, not only about bihar but in anywhere in the country uh there is a formal kind of system for procurement and selling and there is informal kind of system is there so when you see in terms of land ownership of the farmer and their connection with the output or their output linkages when you will see then you will find a star kind of relationship between these two variables so uh, marginal small farmers are more connected with uh, some kind of informal uh, trading where they are getting less than msp or very low price for their agriculture uh, for their produce whereas large farmers medium medium farmers are in a position to access this kind of formal system where they can approach the uh, procurement agencies and uh, get the uh, msp so in case of bihar uh, marginal farmers got only 90 uh, 97% of the marginal farmers got less than uh msp of that time in 2013 in the same figure was for small farmers in case of semi medium farmers they got uh 90% of them got less than msp and 82% of medium farmers got less than msp so that you can realize that you can see clearly more and more numbers of the farmers in the uh, this uh, lesser land size category they are getting less than msp so their situation is very much uh, uh, difficult and that is what i was saying when we were talking about the power asymmetry so the power asymmetry there is one kind of power asymmetry between agricultural and non agricultural segment which you can call the vertical power asymmetry but there is horizontal power asymmetry as well or uh, and which is basically defined according to the land ownership of the farmers so large land holders are in a better position better situation than the marginal farmers one question that i missed that you asked last uh, time the, uh, that was about the participation of farmers they are mostly from uh, large category and all so when we are talking about the power asymmetry when discussing that thing when we are understanding that power asymmetry then we have to realize that it is possible that their power position is better than uh, 
uh, I'm talking about the large farmers. So the power position of the large farmers are better than the power position of marginal small farmers. But that does not mean they are also in a better situation when you, uh, they are interacting with the non-agricultural segments. So there is a structural power asymmetry that works against the agricultural uh, agricultural part of the agricultural value system, the farmers uh, of the agricultural value system. So that is always there. So uh, we should not misunderstand. We have to uh, think this situation in a very clear fashion. And we have to make this argument very clearly that it is possible that a small and marginal farmers are worse than in a worse position than the large farmers, but that does not mean large farmers are uh, doing very great. Uh, let me give you just one figure. In case of uh, Punjab, which is generally considered as a land of big land, uh, land owners, big farmers, and so on and so forth. But even in that particular case, you will realize that average income is close to 18,000, which is not even a monthly salary of uh, a, a very uh, lower rank government official, PUN or some, something. I don't. I am not aware of the salary of uh, the, them. But uh, the earning of farmers are not that much that you can claim that they are earning very super normal profit. Their structural positions are not favoring them to earn uh, this uh, supernatural profit. And especially in a case when even the MSP price, which is very disputed, there is a, whether it is uh, cost plus 50% or not, we can debate on that as well. So, it is very wrong to say that they are very uh, well to do. That is not the case. If you will uh, see in a comparative sense from the other seg uh, segment of the society. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Manish. I think that clarifies a lot of um, ambiguities also uh, in people's minds. Uh, lastly, coming uh, coming to the last question, uh, I beg your pardon. Is the general debate and discussion or the public discourse around food security in India? We have seen that a common um, demand, particularly arising from um, the farming community, in light of the uh, the number of the increasingly growing number of uh, suicides that you see every year, is you need two basic things. One, you need the MSP and then you need your um, farm laws waiver. Keeping this aside, um, what else do you think that India can do to substantiate, to substantiate its food security policy? Like for example, an argument that many scholars have made of late, particularly in light of the pandemic, is the need to universalize the PDS. But at the same time, you also have um, a number of scholars also calling for the PDS to be, you know, scrapped in, in, in its entirety. So could you little, uh, 
to you know to wind off uh, today's discussion could you go into a little detail on what trajectory india's food security policy should take going into the future thanks nikhil for asking this question uh, i was just referring one particular figure that the earning of agricultural uh, community is very less that is in front of us the another figure that i quoted that more than 50% of indian households are dependent on agriculture directly indirectly whatever you say so that is there so any food security policy there is another uh, there is a third fact which we should also note that our agricultural community is a net buyer of food commodities so in some case farmers are producing something but for rest of the pro- uh, product they are going to the market and they are buying right so as a result of that they are net buyer of the agricultural product even farmers are the net buyers of agricultural product so taking into account these three facts uh if we are talking about a policy which uh, which should take care of the food security of the citizen of the country that should also consider the uh, the income situation and accordingly you will realize and you can understand the consumption situation of the country uh, the citizen of the country so uh basically uh first thing that we need to understand in order to work towards eradicating food insecurity completely from our society we need to understand what kind of economic activities they are working in and how we can help there so there is is a one income approach and you have rightly said that increasing msp increasing income of the farmers increasing uh, wage of the agricultural workers so these are one part of uh, solution where you can work on the income side that is one thing but it alone cannot do anything the other side is when we are talking about the food security that is not only about the production we have enough to feed uh, our uh, entire population in fact we are producing more than uh our own uh, consumption demand so uh, uh we are the largest exporter in the world of uh, rice we are the 10th largest exporter of lentils uh, in case of chickpea we are the 10th largest we are the largest uh, exporter of uh, onion and we have also significant position in various uh, uh, fruits in the world market mango etc so we are actually producing enough to feed our uh, uh, our people our population but the situation is about uh, the, the question is about distribution and in that way you rightly said pds used to be a very uh, universal pds i mean used to be a very significant tool with the government to reach every household and unfortunately that has been destroyed gradually and uh, today their reach is very much limited uh, but after this uh, national food security act close to 
75% population in rural area and 50% population in urban area directly connected with that program. But the quantity that they are getting, uh, the households are getting, is not enough. So the one possible solution would be to increase the quantity of the food grains that they are getting uh, at present. And uh, in the long run, we will have to understand this entire system was working in a very coordinated manner. So in one way, this uh, procurement is not different. Uh, this, no, uh, this is not isolated from this uh, distribution system. When this, uh, this procurement was visualized, this uh, PDS was visualized, these all things were visualized in a, in a package. So at one hand, government used to procure. At another hand, government used to distribute through uh, universal PDS system. But once you have destroyed the universal PDS and made it up, uh, targeted, then your stock uh, became rising. That started rising in your uh, with the FCI. And as a result of that, government used to complain that we are undertaking loss. And in order to uh, do away with that, we will have to reduce the procurement and so on, uh, so forth. That happened later on. So these all things. Uh, that we are seeing today are, uh, should be seen in a coordinated manner. Food security is not different from other things. That is very much related. And uh, uh, if farmers' income is rising, then you are talking about the half of the population. If agricultural workers you are including, then you, you are just talking about the significant population. So at one hand, we need to increase the income of the farmers, and at another hand, we need to uh, increase the distribution system, increase the coverage area, coverage of the distribution system, so that we can uh, uh, we, we can reach households uh, uh, with food grains and and uh, and whatever they need. So that is what required in order to support system, uh, in order to increase the income in the short run, uh, there are various uh, uh, suggestion already by political parties that they should be provided 7,500 per month unless we are completely out of this uh, pandemic situation. So that suggestion government did not implement so far. And in even in this budget, it was expected that government would provide some kind of direct cash, uh, direct cash transfer for some months at least. But uh, nothing happened of that sort. So I, I don't know what will happen to the food security situation in the recent uh, future. But we can just uh, uh, ask again and again that government should strengthen the income side of the uh, this uh, deprived section of the society. Uh, and agricultural communities. And on the other hand, government should also increase the coverage area of this, uh, uh, our food programs. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to us today, Dr. Manish. Thank you, Nikhil. Thank Your you insights, uh, I'm sure, would be really helpful for us to um, contextualize the recent debate. 
around food security in India. For our audience, if you would like to get a little more perspective on some of the issues that we spoke about today, I would urge you to take a read of um, to read through Dr. Manish Kumar's um, recent article in the Economic and Political Weekly, titled "The Government's Retreat from Agricultural Policy: Experiences from Bihar." And around the general debate on food security and um, uh, the PDS in India, uh, SPRF also has a piece that is out on our website titled Food Insecurity in India, Evaluating the Case for Direct Benefit Transfer. So with that, I'll close today's uh, episode of The Policy Room. Thank you doc, uh, so much, Dr. Manish, again. And thank you so much to our thank audience. You, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Policy Room, produced by the Social and Political Research Foundation. SPRF is a youth-oriented, public policy think tank based in New Delhi, working to spark dialogues for a better democracy. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.